So welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast. What uh, are we talking about today, Tara? What the heck happened to the Food Network? Oh my God, this <laughs> is the best topic ever. Now listen, we came up with this one all by ourselves. Yeah, you mean it wasn't like a listener submitted topic? It wasn't a listener submitted topic, but it wasn't, I didn't see like a video on YouTube no. or anything about this topic. This is a topic we've been talking about amongst ourselves for years. Literally, you can do a college dissertation on this. Mm -hmm. This is a massive topic. If I had to ask you to sum up in a couple sentences, Tara, what did happen to the Food Network? It jumped the shark. I have my own feelings about when that happened. But at one point in time, the Food Network was all about cooking and instructions on how to cook. And it was awesome. And it gave me as a viewer a really great feeling. I don't know. It, it felt right. It felt good. I, I looked forward to watching it. Now it's it's something different. It's morphed into something else. So Tara and I are on the same wavelength, wavelength here. It was great. It used to be something I watched. Well, it used to be something I looked forward to. Mm -hmm. And then I just utter disgust. Like I could not, <laughs> I couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't a gradual thing either. It almost happened overnight. Yeah. Let's define what what made the Food Network good for you. What, what was it? But do you think it's helpful at all to, to maybe go back and talk about maybe stuff that existed before the Food Network? Because the Food Network didn't actually launch until 1993. Yeah. And at that point, you and I were already in high school. Yeah, so I know you watched do that. You watched some shows even before there was a Food Network, right? Yeah, I grew up watching cooking shows. Yeah. Like I fancy myself an expert on the subject. Mm -hmm. Like I probably watched more cooking shows than most men who are my age. Oh, yeah. I, I would sure. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. some person who has me beat, but I watched them religiously with my grandmother. Again, this is pre-Food Network. So there were there were a number of shows we would watch. Most of them, I believe, were on PBS or other public uh, stations. Mm -hmm. So what did you used to watch? A couple that come to mind are definitely Julia Child. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think everybody who wants to cook, who is a cook, who wants to constantly learn, they all know her name, obviously. Yeah. She's probably the most well-known cook probably of all time. Yeah. If you say, tell me a famous woman chef or cook, it's not even a number two. Mm -hmm. and you, it, it's just you automatically go to her. Yeah. Right? I think even famous chef, like you could even drop the woman. She has no equal. Right. That's not an insult towards any of these other great male chefs, but no, she has no equal. Um, so I watched a lot of her. Mm -hmm. Probably watched her when I was very young, when I didn't really understand that much yet. Mm -hmm. And then I also watched, I'm thinking some, a couple, I would say like Chinese cooking that was on public access. Yeah. So was it Joyce Chen? Was that one of? It might've been. Uh, maybe Martin Yen. Yeah. And then uh, I watched like this Cajun guy. I think Justin Wilson was his name. Okay. I think it was Cajun. I actually read up on him. I don't think he was even Cajun. They said it was like he was like doing an impersonation. Oh, really? So I watched him. Uh, it's just like I used to love his act, like the way he spoke. Yeah. I just it was it was probably like I don't he know probably him. played it up. I also watched Jacques Pepin, mm -hmm. a lot of Jacques Pepin, who you know he's he's amazing. I would say he's probably like the equal, the male 
equivalent to Julia Child. Yeah, so right? I, I mean, and you know, you can debate who's a better cook or I'm just talking like yeah. TV, TV and food he instruction. Never, he never rose to the quite the level of of Julia Child. I mean, mm-hmm. Julia Child is like graces the halls of culture. Mm-hmm. Like she is French cooking, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that bothers a lot of French cooks. Famous, <laughs> she's, like Michelin star. She's not French. Yeah, she's right? not French. And, yeah. Or if she is. And then I'm trying to think who who were, uh, were there anybody else? Oh, well, Lydia. Lydia well, I watched but, too. But Lydia didn't, She her show didn't launch until 1998, believe it or not. Interesting. Yeah. Are you sure yeah. 1998? Yes. Yes. Doesn't, that math doesn't work out. I feel mm-hmm. like I was watching her with my grandmother. You might have. Your grandma was still alive in 98. Yeah, I'm probably wrong about that. I, I did watch her, though. Yeah, I did watch I did her too. show. Yeah, she was on PBS, which was, you know, public station. There was also the Frugal Gourmet and the Galloping Gourmet. I think Graham Kerr was one of them. The I don't know. remember what the Frugal Gourmet's name was. but Yeah. Um, but I think- Was I his think, name Justin Wilson? Maybe I screwed that up. I don't know. I think he got into some trouble. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll, listen, guys, anybody who we about talk that, about that, but, that has gotten into trouble, we're not endorsing them. Right. This is the problem. Once you become, quote unquote, famous, somehow scandals end up finding you. Mm-hmm. Now, do people become bad when they become famous or have they, are they always- who knows? Who knows? You know, we spoke about Mario Batali the other day. We were just sticking to his cooking. That was it. Yeah. Not his exploits or his transgressions or his whatever. It, mm-hmm. it was his court cases have been decided already. So those were some of the earlier cooking shows. The Food Network launched in 1993. And some of the earlier shows on the Food Network were some of our favorites. So Essence of Emerald was one of the original shows. Mm. And that was before... Emerald Live. And if you actually go back and watch old videos of Essence of Emerald, Emerald looks, there's like bad lighting and he looks very nervous and not how he was on the Emerald Live set. As these people get bigger, more important in the corporation, which was Food Network, Mm -hmm. which I think was a standalone, then they were eventually bought by a larger company, I think Scripps or or something, and now they're under something else. But yeah, they get more and more makeup artists, they get better and better lighting, they get more and more producers, Mm -hmm. they get more and more fluffers, and everybody else you can imagine helping that person become something a little bit that they're not. Mm -hmm. The new persona is created, a persona for consumption. That's right. For TV consumption, which is what was the predominant media at that time. YouTube was not around yet. And let's be honest here, nobody watches TV anymore. I mean, the numbers are declining rapidly. You know, I jest when I say nobody, but you're probably not going to see new talent put on TV anymore or the really talented chefs that are on YouTube right now or Mm -hmm. cooks or content creators, if you just want to call them that, they're not going to TV. Yeah. No. no matter what TV offers them. That's right. Because a lot of these people are making more money than they ever could. That's right. Through uh, through their empires they built through YouTube and, and through online media in general. Mm-hmm. Who knows if I'm 100% right about that? Uh, obviously, uh, there's been some reveal of, of pay. And Food Network's highest paid person by far is... Guy Fieri. By, I think, Probably. double or triple. Did I even pronounce his name correctly? Yeah, it's so Fieri, he says his name. But he pronounces it Fieri with like rolling the R, like the Italian pronunciation. And everybody loves Guy Fieri or maybe if you don't love him, you know him. You recognize him. I mean, he's the guy with the with the blonde, the platinum blonde hair who wears his sunglasses backwards. So worldwide, 
8 billion people on the planet. I would say Guy Fieri is one of the five most recognizable <laughs> men on the planet. Do you agree? I don't know. You know, it's funny because somebody like Mr. Beast, if you watch YouTube, you know who this guy is. Mm -hmm. He's got in billions of billions more views on YouTube than Guy Fieri has. But I still think if I was to walk around, say, Manhattan, or if I was to walk around San Francisco or Chicago or Athens or Barcelona, I think more people would recognize Guy Fieri than Mr. Beast. It's possible. I think Guy Fieri would be in the top five. I think we should do that research ourselves, especially the Barcelona and Athens part. We should. I think you can go to Antarctica and you would find people that know Guy Fieri. Find penguins? Yes. Okay. So you asked me before, what did I like most about the Food Network? And I think I sort of mentioned that it felt comforting. I want to elaborate a little bit more on that. Watching the Food Network used to be about instruction and learning how to cook and with a little bit of entertainment, like what Emerald used to do on Emerald Live. Emerald Live was one of my favorite shows. And you and I used to- Mine too, yeah. We spent quite a lot of time watching it together, especially when we first started dating. I remember exactly. up in Albany, yep. we would watch it. Yeah, you, you met the guy who wanted to watch cooking shows. Y yes. At least I wasn't the guy that like forced you to watch football. Yeah, well, I was already used to cooking shows because my sister also used to love to watch cooking shows um, as a child. She so went to the Culinary Institute- mm -hmm. She did. She went to the French Culinary, French Culinary Institute, Institute. Yeah, for pastry. But she also loved to watch cooking shows, whereas I was a little bit more indifferent toward them as a child. But as an adult or as in a late, my late teens, when I met you, or I was 20 when I met you, I really enjoyed watching Emerald Live. I enjoyed watching Molto Mario. Um, Tony Bourdain's No Reservations was another one of my favorite shows. There was also um, East Meets West with Ming Tsai. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. That was really good. But they were always entertaining, but they were always instructional, too. And I felt like I was getting really good information. I was learning how to cook and just looked forward to, to watching them. The only thing that was sort of a competition, if you will, that I enjoyed on the older Food Network was the original Iron Chef. Yes. It was all in Japanese. They didn't even use subtitles. It was like, it was voiced over with, with American. I loved it. English, right? Those shows all gave me a really good comforting feeling where I try and like compare and contrast it to today's Food Network Today's Food Network is kind of stressful to watch. It's all about competition and there's a whole lot of drama. Even when there isn't any drama, they create faux drama. Everything's fake. Yeah. I mean, we could flesh it out more later, but they obviously know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is a good or bad thing or whatever judgment you want to make for society as a whole, but more people, according to Food Network, the executives, you know, the board, the the C-suite, all that. They know that people, more people want to be entertained, I guess, than want to be instructed. And they just put that on steroids and have stopped all instruction. And I guess it can kind of be compared to what's going on in regular TV with, I'm proud to admit, I don't think I've ever watched an episode of The Jersey Shore. It's, it seems like when Kardashians. the Kardashians, when, when those- No, you actually have watched every episode of The Kardashians. Uh, no, I haven't. I have seen- 
I have seen episodes of the Kardashians, but I don't watch it's every it. parent's worst nightmare it, that it, their daughter starts yeah, watching that show. Yeah, no, I mean, or, that's, or and, start, and starts wanting to. No, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> what are you gonna do? No, I've never watched an episode of the Jersey Shore. I never watched an episode of Real Housewives or, or any of those really reality shows. But I think the Food Network maybe started to to change at the same time that those shows started to. Well, they're all under, up. they're all under the same umbrella too, right? Like, isn't HGTV? Aren't they? Isn't that owned by the same network that owns Food Network? I, I'm, I might be wrong, but they all are so similar. You could almost have crossovers between the channels. Like, you can have like the Property Brothers cook gumbo today, mm-hmm. like, and serve it to Barack Obama, and then the cast of Stranger Things shows up. <laughs> it's all just, it's all for the views. Yeah. And yeah. we traffic in getting views also, don't we? We do. I mean, we have to. Tara has her notes. She's going to bring us back to center here because this conversation could go in a billion different directions. Now with Food Network being very much about competition and more of that like dramatic type of reality, reality, quote unquote reality, um, it's less about instruction. And I think what that does is it creates, or it did create a really great opportunity for people wanting to provide instruction through other avenues like YouTube. My master plan wasn't waiting. I didn't I didn't decide to be a stock trader for 15 years and wait for the Food Network to to de- fall, fall down and, you know, sow the seeds of its own demise. And then I was like, ooh, uh, opportunity strikes yeah. now. I'm going to start a YouTube cooking channel. Right. No, I just, I definitely do, though, and I know this, and you know this, we get a lot of comments saying, you remind me of when the Food Network was actually worth watching. A lot of times when I'm either in the kitchen with you when you're filming a video, or if I'm watching a video that you've already put out and is fully produced, it does kind of give me the same feeling I used to get when I would watch Emerald Live. Yeah. Except you're clearly not performing in front of a live audience, but it's not yet. It's that same feeling. And yeah. it feels really good. He had a big influence on me. So and I don't I don't mention him in the videos, but I think people who are relatively astute can tell that he definitely has had an influence on me. I thought he was entertaining. And first of all, I used to hate when he would get criticized. And he was even, when he started, was getting criticized by like professional chefs. I think a lot of that was just jealousy. Yeah, I mean, he is a professional chef though. You're 100% right, he is a professional chef. So I think he would get, I, I think a lot of it was jealousy. It would be a guy or a girl who maybe had two Michelin star restaurant, maybe a three Michelin star restaurant and they're seeing this guy Emerald selling his sauce, selling his spice. What was that called? Essence. essence his essence. Yeah. That's so funny. And buy like, my bam. Buy my essence. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he had his cookware, and he was. I mean, he was such a dominant force for a long time, and he was the face of the food. He network. was, and so he. When you're on the top, when you're on top, you have the most critics. So mm-hmm. they went after him. You know, I don't know if he had any personal issues or whatnot. Uh, honestly, guys. Nobody's perfect, and you you should look <laughs> look in the mirror if you think you are. But um, I I don't know if he did. 
But I would say that people definitely went after him. Then he got knocked off the horse. And now the the, the guy who's on top on the Food Network now is clearly Guy Fieri. Mm -hmm. But Guy Fieri, it's hard to knock him down because he's not a cook. You know, I know he's technically a cook. Like he won the original competition. Yeah, the next food. But he's yeah, not a trained chef. Food Network star. He's not. No, a, he's, he's not, not a trained chef. He's not a trained chef. He won the cooking the competition for that show, and then had a few shows as a result of that. I don't. Diners, Dives, and Drives wasn't no. his first show. I think it was like Guys no, Big but Bite that is, or something like but, that. But Diners, Diners, Drives, and, and Dives is. I think it's the longest running show on TV now. Now they filmed multiple well, seasons. On TV or the Food Network? I mean, it's not running TV. longer than The Simpsons. Well, no, but if you go by seasons, it has like 55 seasons. Because they were shooting more than one season per year. Oh, okay. So like The Simpsons has like 30 something seasons, but yeah, Triple D's got like 900 seasons. <laughs> mm -hmm. And no, he is the Food Network and he's not a trained, he's not a professional chef. Somebody like Bobby Flay is a professional chef. Mm -hmm. There's not that many of the Bobby Flays left on the Food Network. And Bobby Flay tried to become more entertaining. and But he's abrasive. He's got a New York, the New York attitude. I mean, probably people probably think I sound a little bit like Bobby Flay. And 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 I'm probably abrasive to people. Yeah. But To yeah. me, I'm people. You're abrasive to me. I, I'm sure I am. I mean, Guy Fieri's just got that like friendly, hey, bro. Hey, man, what you doing, bro? Yeah, well, you know, like, let me let me turn my let me turn my glasses yeah. on the back of my head. Let me get some highlights in my spiky porcupine hair. And let me just yeah. let me just have a bite of that thing you're making. He's got a California vibe or yeah, Bobby Flay. But he's from Ohio. No, he's from California. So you can tell we do a lot of research for these. But yeah, I said, I said, no, he's from Ohio. And Tara goes, no, he's from California. Well, he was born in Ohio, he which was, is what I read. Yeah, he was born in Columbus, but then he was raised in Ferndale in California. So I, I feel like he's more Californian than he is Ohioan. I mean, he's got that California vibe. He's just like, yeah, bro. Like, yeah. let me have your... He makes up so many words in the show that I'm just dying laughing. Like, we went away... What was it a year ago or two years ago? Where do we go? Maine? Was it Maine? Yeah. We actually weren't with the kids. So this was a vacation by ourselves. What do we do when we get back to the we, hotel we room? Watch the, we watch the food. We watch like nine episodes of uh, Triple D. <laughs> and I was just, it was like two in the morning. I'm just like, like listening to this guy's vocabulary. <laughs> like, but it's, he's got a whole, he's, he's got to have a production crew telling him, they're yeah. like, say this word, do that. Yeah. He is entertaining. He's extremely entertaining. Yeah, so I will give him that. And I don't mean to, like, when I say the, the Food Network jumped the shark, I'm, I, I, that that's my opinion. I know. People are like, it, Jim, you're not, you guys aren't really criticizing the Food Network I know, now. I know. Yeah. But it it did jump the shark. I, I don't watch the Food Network the way I used to intently watch it when I was younger. And maybe that's because I just don't have time to watch it anymore. But, you know, it just, it, it, it changed for me and it doesn't give me that same feeling anymore. And I, if I am going to watch a video on how to make a recipe, I'm going to go to YouTube. I'm yeah. not going to sit and wait for the Food Network to air a show anymore. What's interesting is the people who are doing the best on YouTube and we're small potatoes, guys. I mean, we appreciate every single one of you that watches, but, and, when I when I'm talking about these big channels, we can talk about ones that are getting in excess of 10 million views in a month of long form content, not shorts. Shorts don't count, guys. Shorts. There's people who that get a bazillion views on shorts, and mm -hmm. it's not the same thing. But the long form, and then you would group in. So like you would say like Joshua Weissman, yeah, okay, or some of the other ones, Babish, Babish, and though you'll see those 
that's what people really think about now when they think about cooking. Yeah. They're not thinking about, and you'll even see like some ex-Food Network people that ha- start their YouTube channel and it just that's doesn't right. gain, gain traction. That's right. So a lot of people have moved on. When they want instruction, they're going to YouTube. Now, Josh Weissman is also entertainment. He's not well, instruction he also, either. He also kind of shifted. He used right? to be instruction. He used to be a little bit more instructional. Now he's... You know, he slaps his butt. And <laughs> yeah. I met Josh Weissman when I went to Creator Summit. Mm-hmm. I spoke to him for a few minutes. Is he, he tall? Yes, he's very like, tall. He looks like he would be tall. He won't, probably won't remember me or remember the conversation, but it was it was it was quite quite enlightening. Yeah, and uh, he's he's a serious dude. So no matter how much you think like he's making this like silly content where he's slapping his butt and whatnot, and you know, zooming in nine hundred percent and. <laughs> Just talking a mile a minute. I mean, that what they do in a six-minute video is crazy. He's he's essentially has Mr. Beastified cooking genre on YouTube. There's a method to that madness. They're doing it on purpose. And then you have another guy who's even younger than Josh Weissman. Uh, his name is Nick Giovanni, and mm-hmm. he's doing the same thing. And he has a really big channel too. But yeah, that's kind of... They have taken the Food Network model of being entertaining and have brought it onto brought it onto YouTube. Yeah. The instructional people on YouTube don't do nearly as well, and that's part of the reason why we kind of decided to to add some of those taste testings into into our content. Yeah, I mean, I think our goal is still to provide instructional content that's also entertaining. Valuetainment, it's called. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but every now and then to throw a taste test video in for additional forms of entertainment is I think a good thing. Just like the podcast is a further iteration of Sip and Feast. It kind of allows people who are interested in in talking in greater detail about food to listen, right? If you guys want like the nitty gritty, the instructional, pure instructions, that's our website. Mm -hmm. There's almost 400 recipes there now. Our website's never gonna be entertainment. Part of the reason it's never gonna be entertainment is because the guy who you're looking at right now or listening to cannot write. And that's a hard, hard skill. It's a it's a dying skill now. And people don't mm-hmm. want to be entertained really with the written word too much anymore. They really do want to be entertained more through video formats or podcast listening. That's true. And oftentimes, and we are guilty of it on our earlier posts on the Sip and Feast website, oftentimes there's a lot of fluff thrown into talking about a recipe, like I I will see so often people complain, I don't need to know the whole, your whole life story on that. It was like a summer day. The first time you tasted an orange and you decided, Oh, I'm going to turn this orange into, you know, people don't want to read that. No, they just want to know how to make the food. It's a big problem with food blogs in general. A lot of food blogs are just bad. They're bad. So that's why I, you never, I will never, I don't call, I don't ever say we have a food blog. We have a food website. We have a cooking website. Recipe website. Recipe website. Mm-hmm. We do not have a blog. We're not blogging. I'm not blogging about inane stuff. Anything that is inane that's older content, you can send us send us a message. Tell me, Jim, that's crap. Get it off. And we will because we are trying to 100% just give you pure instruction on there. But YouTube, it's got to be more entertaining. And mm-hmm. again, this is Bringing it back to the Food Network, this is why the Food Network, they made a decision, an executive decision to go pure entertainment Mm -hmm. because they were seeing in the numbers that it just wasn't working being that kind of boring instructional. You know, PBS still has it, but PBS has private funders. So it's a different type of thing that they offer. I would love to hear some of our listeners' comments on this topic. Do you think that- 
that they agree. Oh, I think they're I mean, highly interested I, in it. I know we've seen comments come in about how you remind people of, of the early Food Network. I'm really curious to hear people's reactions or comments to our discussion that we're having right now. So we're like kind of jumping back and forth around here, kind of justifying, I guess, why it's become pure entertainment. We're not really being critical of, of the Food Network. And part part of it, I think, is because we're actually kind of trying to do more entertainment too. But why, why do I say like they, like what happened to it? Well, it's those old shows that gave me the comfort that I really desired back then. They were like a, kind of like a good bowl of pasta mm-hmm. or really comforting gumbo yeah. or, or like the best Kung Pao chicken you ever had. Like mm-hmm. you just like wanted to just curl up and consume it. That's what I did with the Food Network for many years. And when I met Tara, I brought her right into that. We went into this, I think, in, in was it the first episode? Or we did, you didn't uh, grow up eating. Oh, no, we did this in the Picky Eater episode. Mm-hmm. So that, that Picky Eater episode is on Patreon. Go subscribe if you haven't subscribed. And you will get an extra two podcast episodes per month. All right? That's it. I'm done. I'm done. Done pushing it. But seriously, that's where it is. And we talked about Picky Eaters and everything. And talked about Tara's upbringing and lack of food. She didn't have a lot of food, you know, when she was growing up. I I don't want to rehash all of it, but needless to say, she was, when she was watching the Food Network with me when we first met, she was discovering all of these new foods Mm -hmm. for the first time. Right, Tara? Yeah, definitely. I think that's also one of the reasons why I loved it so much, because I didn't realize there was this whole universe out there. We watched The Iron Chef, like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. We watched a ton of that. We watched a ton of Emerald. And we watched Bobby Flay's earlier shows, too. Yeah, I used to love Bobby Flay. I don't remember watching Giada too much. Was she past that time or not? So she wasn't one of the original ones. Okay. But she... Alton Brown was one of the people, too. Alton Brown was. And you know, actually, the, the person who now, I feel, reminds me of Alton Brown, and maybe you think it's Ethan Chlebowski... Um, I think Brian Lagerstrom reminds me a little bit of that Alton Brown. Brian Lagerstrom doesn't remind me of Alton Brown. Uh, uh, Ethan Jablowski more so. I would say him. Adam Ragusea too, kind of Alton mm-hmm. Brownish. I, I yeah. think. Yeah, he does kind of get into the because they're like, part of it. Yeah, because he has like a lot of research done for the episodes, yeah. and yeah. the same way that that Ethan Jablowski does. Yeah. No, back to Giada. I actually really liked Giada's show, Everyday Italian, when when it started, because that was actually where I learned to make a few different Italian dishes. And her show was a little bit more heavily produced. You know, it it was... Giada. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It had a different feel to it. It felt more cinematic than than. Molto Mario or Bobby Flay's shows. So that's what I'm saying. She was like the, she was the second, third generation Food Network. Jamie Oliver too, right? The Naked Chef. Jamie Oliver, yeah. Yeah. He gets a lot of, he got a lot of criticism too, I always remember. People weren't weren't too happy that he became, he was really young. He became Mm -hmm. this star. Another guy is Tyler Florence. Remember him? Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny, like, we 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 did we did a little research in the beginning here, but yeah, I forgot about we didn't Tyler even mention Florence. Jamie Oliver or Tyler yeah. Florence. And there's countless other people that were we're not glossing over any of them purposely. No, it's yeah. like we're trying to jog a memory from essentially over 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. It was roughly 2000. It was mm-hmm. around 9/11 when we were commuting into the city and we were getting uh, our fix at night after we would get Chinese food takeout. We would then watch the Food Network. That's right. 
And actually you're, you're spot on with like the timing because it was in 2005 was when the Food Network kind of changed. That was when the next Food Network star aired and Guy Fieri started his Food Network career. And that's when I stopped watching it. Yeah. That's exactly when, well, earlier than that, probably, yeah, probably a year before that, I, you know, had to like, I didn't learn about Guy Fieri really from the Food Network. Then I know I watched, I consumed some Triple D later on and stuff, but I needed the Food Network to to, to learn some, some cooking skills. Mm-hmm. That's when I was consuming it. So now those young, mostly men that we get the criticisms from on our YouTube videos, mm-hmm. who they're learning from Reddit and people on YouTube, that's that's they need that now. So that's right. what I had at that time. Mm-hmm. Maybe I got past that and I didn't need it anymore. Yeah. Like I didn't need their I didn't need their entertainment, that's for sure. Maybe uh the Food Network didn't actually jump the shark. Maybe we just haven't evolved and we, we're old. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's a hundred percent likely. And but but also the Food Network did have a massive change and it clearly did. Mm-hmm. It went from low production or moderate production to insane production. Yeah. Now we're not even we didn't even mention Gordon Ramsay yet. Now I know he's not a part of the Food Network, but we can't talk about this whole subject without bringing up Gordon Ramsay because That's Gordon true. Ramsay epitomizes essentially what went wrong with the Food Network. All Gordon Ramsay's content is competition based. It's competition, but it's also like high stress to watch him. You think he's, he's like that in real life? Probably. Probably. I, I, I would probably. say he probably is. I mean. I don't know if you, Gordon Ramsay, let us know if, if you disagree. No, but yes, Gordon Ramsay, please. Yes. I'm sure he's listening. Please to come pod- on to the show. I'm sure he's listening to our podcast. Come right on now. to the show. I'll have you, I'll, I'll arm wrestle you, Gordon. Yeah, yeah. I can't see Emerald behaving like that, but, but he does. And I, I get that it's entertain entertainment. Yeah, you don't it's, know if he's, if that's manufactured, yeah. like everything about him that we know yeah. could be completely manufactured. Yeah. Can he really be that mean in real life? I don't life? know. I don't I, think so. I feel like everything that, that we do and try and empower people to let them know that it's okay if you don't do it this way or you- That's dia- you his, his thing is diametrically opposed. Yeah. yeah, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I saw this thing one time is, and I, everybody likes to bash Gordon Ramsay, so why not? I'll take, I'll take, my, I'll take a stab at it. So uh, it was, uh, he was calling some guy- um, what is it? What what is his derogatory terms he used? An idiot people? sandwich. It wasn't an idiot sandwich. He <laughs> called him like it was like a potato or a banana or I don't I don't even know. It's it's something that's popular. I'm sure our audience knows, but the the person put foil. Foil has a dull side and has a shiny side. Yeah. The myth has always been that if one side you put up radiates the heat better and locks it in. And it's still on the internet right now. There's articles saying that one side is better than the other. But the actual Alcoa and the aluminum makers have publicly said it has absolutely no effect on anything. Really? It's just how they roll it. One side gets rolled shiny. One side gets rolled dull. Mm -hmm. But he was calling this person like, again, that term I can't remember. Saying like, you stupid, you you don't know that about the foil and blah, blah, blah. You do a really bad English yeah, yeah, accent. Yeah, can you can you try to do it for me? No. He was going after him <laughs> in a funny way, I guess. I mean, I don't know. The guy probably cried or something. But, you know, um, that was kind of the extent. And that is his built-in persona now. Mm-hmm. He's that guy. Yeah, he is. He's angry. But he's cashing in. He's making. He makes about $100 million a year from all of his 
I go on Hulu sometimes and there's Food Network and then on Hulu there's all the other cooking shows. Mm-hmm. He is the whole category. Yeah. They're like, watch other cooking shows. It was like 19 Gordon Ramsay <laughs> shows. I was like, what is it's like a, your own personal hell if you don't like him. Like, mm-hmm. and you just have to you get put to prison. You're you're sentenced, you're sentenced for 30 to years. Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> and you have to watch reruns of Hell's Kitchen for the rest of your life and the other 18 series that has been created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I have to stop the camera every 10 minutes. And every time I like stop it, I like I just quickly tell ask Tara about the segment we just did. I'm like, did I am I coming off as jealous to Gordon Ramsay? Because no. I don't want to appear that way. I know you're not. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not going to lie. I'll take uh, I would take the money. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yes, I would too. Day. I would no, too. Any, if, you're, if you're watching, listening Food Network yeah. executives. I don't think you're coming across as being envious of. Mr. Ramsey, Chef Ramsey. He's not even a real person to me or to most people anymore. He's he's like a he's, character. He's risen to an ephoral, was it ephoral or some plane? Like he's on a new plane of existence. Mm-hmm, right. He's on that Guy Fieri level. Mm-hmm. You don't think of him as a real person. No, he's kind of like a character. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't even view himself as a real person anymore because he's been that character for all the different shows That's forever. True. He might not even know who the real Gordon Ramsay is. Yeah. But I don't want to make assumptions. Maybe he he's very happy. No, I'm sure he is. I'm yeah. sure he's a great father and yeah. husband and all that. I mean, again, you have no idea how these people yeah. are in real life. We really don't. And we shouldn't be passing judgment yeah. on anybody. Yeah. But, you know, we can we can still have a conversation. We hope you're taking the lightheartedness of this whole conversation today. We're mm-hmm. not trying to capture a moment for you guys, maybe, who... We're in that same place. Yeah, maybe we're, our hope is that some of you feel similarly to us and the old Food Network has a sense of nostalgia, right? And the new one is just not as good. Young cooks now, they need to be served somewhere, people who want to learn. Mm-hmm. And they're not being served on the Food Network. Would no, you agree with that? I would agree, yeah. So they have to go find lessons and instruction in other places. Yeah. I see often that they say, to buy cookbooks. So they're like, as we become more advanced as, as a society, the young cooks are moving in reverse. They're going back to buying really? physical cookbooks. Really? Yeah, because the cookbooks take away all of all of the entertainment. Yeah. It's, and especially the ones that are in black and white. It's, uh, it's, an inter- it's an interesting thing. Yeah, that's true. So a lot of times I'll see comments from, from people, whether it's on the blog or on YouTube, and they'll say, Jim, you really need your own cooking show. Oh, uh, yeah. I know that they're they're paying you a, a compliment probably, by saying that. They're probably from older people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the reality of it is you yeah. do have your own cooking show. Yeah, I have my own cooking show, guys. And if any it's of just you not who, on TV. <laughs> any of you who are listening, you can have your own cooking show, too. That's right. Yeah. I um. You have to build an audience. That's the thing. And nobody will ever build an audience to the level that Julia Child had. As yeah. big as Gordon Ramsay is, he's not as big as she was at her peak. Right. Because things are segmented now massively between some people just watch, list, watch and listen to TikTok all day. Mm-hmm. They don't even leave that platform. Some people just consume Facebook. Yeah. So everything is segmented. There's, everything is siloed. Siloed's the better word. That's, you don't yes. have anybody that supersedes a silo. Mm-hmm. Even Guy Fieri, as big as he is, he's big on Food Network. Yeah, that's true. 
Like Guy Fieri could start a YouTube channel tomorrow. He will not ha- get the same amount of views that Joshua Weissman gets. Mm-hmm. It would take, even with his whole crew, production crew, everything. I mean, the Food Network has tried and there's been other like very well-backed groups from Vice Media, Eater, all those, Bon Appetit. They all don't get anywhere near the amount of views that Joshua Weissman does. And I'm, I keep using him. There's a few other people too to yeah. that group in there. So yeah, it's things are siloed now. Mm-hmm. Anybody can have their own show. I consider us pretty well-seasoned now content creators. We have to do everything. So we do the whole planning. We buy the ingredients. I run the cameras. I take the footage. I bring it into editing programs. Everything gets done. I write the copy. Tara writes it. We publish it. There is nobody else involved. We've been doing this for quite a long time. We see a lot of how it works. And I'm just going to be honest here. Everybody gets what they want in life. So the bottom line is more people want the entertainment aspect of the cooking and less of them want to learn. Even a lot of our audience will tell us they just, it soothes them. They have no intention of making the recipe, mm-hmm. but they just like to watch it, it, like laid back. There's not as many people out there, and this is, I think, what the Food Network knows. Mm-hmm. There's not as many people out there that want to be instructed, definitely not in a detailed way. More of them just want to be entertained. They have their jobs. They're tired. They just want to be entertained. So they said, why not make it all entertaining Mm -hmm. and get rid of all the instruction? I would argue and say that part of the entertainment aspect of it was the instruction. The learning, something that you don't know about. For, For me, it was. Yeah. I mean, for me too. I didn't know how to chop an onion. I had no clue how to chop an onion, but I watched Emerald do it. People tell me all the time, I still don't know how to chop an onion. I know. Don't you hate those people? They had the most insufferable bunch. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't fast enough. Let me give you a little advice, guys. Don't worry about your onion chopping speed. Mm -hmm. You're not in a competition. You're not working in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. You're making a dish for your family. You will only need one onion. You're not being judged on how quickly you can go through that 50-pound bag of onions. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. It is. I've sourced one of the fastest choppers ever. This guy, Elmer. Elmer, in the back. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knew how to cook at all. Mm -hmm. But he was an amazing... He he could win competition in onion chopping. Mm -hmm. Potato peeling. Guy would just not even look at you with the... Not even look at you with the paring knife and just whittle down 400 pounds of potatoes <laughs> while glancing at the at the women that walked by him and giving me looks like, hey, see that gym? I was like, oh, God, Elmer. I was like, they're, they're not interested, pal. They are not interested. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're going to do a few questions today. And remember, send your questions to podcast at sipandfeast.com. Tara, what do you got? Okay. So thank you to everyone who emailed the questions. We appreciate it. And a lot of you are also using the podcast email to just send us kind words, encouraging words. And if you're listening right now and not watching, I hope you can tell that I'm smiling because your emails really mean the world to us. But the first question, and this is from 
Justin. He'd like to hear your opinion on cooking using pressure cookers, specifically referencing the Instapot. He says, I've made a variety of slow cooked foods in a much shorter time, like beef bourguignon, which could take six to eight hours on the stovetop versus one to one and a half hours in the Instapot. I personally find the quality is great and find myself to be more reliant on the use of an Instapot due to having two toddlers. So he wants to know your opinion. What is your opinion on cooking using Instapot and pressure cookers? Yeah, so Justin, I think Instapot, the Instapot is great. We, I went away from using it and there are a couple recipes on the website. I've never broken an Instapot out in any YouTube video. I went away from it simply because there's a, there's a sizable amount of people that are never gonna buy that product just like they're not gonna buy an air fryer. Does that mean I won't make an air fryer video at some point? I probably will, is what I'm saying, because it is a useful tool, just like an Instapot is a very useful tool. Now, beef bourguignon's not gonna take six to eight hours in the oven. It's probably gonna take more like three. You're just braising meat. It's, you know, if you chuck braise, it's gonna be two and a half to three and a half hours in the oven at 275 Fahrenheit. An Instapot, you said, does an hour and a half for your meal. So I see now that's a big improvement. I would just simply ask, are you doing everything in, in, in the Instapot? Because sometimes what you perceive as a big savings of time isn't necessarily that big of a savings. Beef bourguignon, if you do it like Julia Child's recipe, she's adding in pearl onions at the end that were sauteed in butter and probably a couple other things to bring it all together. It's probably not a, just a dump in the Instapot and go type of recipe but I could be wrong. We, and I'll give you another example. When we use the Instapot for rice, and we do like to use it for rice because it's very accurate for rice. Do four cups of rice, four cups of water. Hit the rice button. Yeah, a little bit of oil. You can hit the rice button. If you don't want to do it, you can manually set it and do your timing if you want it a little bit more uh, al dente. But it's good. But at the same time, it's not, even though people go, rice only takes eight minutes or whatever in the Instapot, it doesn't. It takes 20 minutes to get up to pressure. Mm -hmm. So there is a time and then you have to, once it's done, then you have to wait for the pressure to release or you can you know, manually release it. In my, what I'm trying to get around is saying is I haven't found it to be too much of a time savings. Mm -hmm. It's really excels though for braised stuff. Like that's where it's really good. Say you want to make a bone broth. Well, that's stuff like that where you yeah. want to like just extract something really quickly. And they used to use the Instapot, not the Instapot, a standard pressure cooker in the Iron Chef I was just all going the to time. say that. Yes. They <laughs> so bring it back that. to that. Yeah. They also use the the chiller. Blast chiller. Blast chiller. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, blast chiller. Yeah. That's for cakes and stuff. Yeah, we need, one of, we need one of cream. those too. Guys, you keep supporting the channel. We keep getting bigger. We're going to have a test kitchen at some point. And that mm. is when things are going to get real serious. You know, like how they have it, like how Bon Appetit used to have like the yeah. big kitchen. That's what I want. Yeah. That, well, that would be, that would be awesome. Um, yeah. The only thing that, that I have ever used the Instapot for is to make rice. So I am not, I can't give my opinion on it, but, and, and like you said, we, we don't really use it for many other things. I know you have the pulled pork sandwiches yeah. in the Instapot. Instapot on the yeah, and I did originally on the website. Originally, I did pasta. I did pasta vizul, which I am so embarrassed about because when we started the site, pasta vizole, pa, you know, pasta vizul, it's an extremely populous term. So going by Google search volume, it means that many people are searching for it each month. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's like five hundred thousand searches are done in America each month 
for that term. And there's all variants of that term because people spell it differently. A lot of people to this day just think it's F-A-Z-O-O-L. They don't even know that it's F-A-G-I-O-L-E-L-O-I. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it in the beginning because I can't have a website. They say when you start a website, do things that you can quote unquote rank for. So That's you have to right. do these low competition keywords and no, I want to have Pasta Vizul. I'm I'm doing an Italian an Italian American food blog. There's no Pasta Vizul is one of the most quintessential Italian American recipes on the planet. So I have to do it. But then I'm like, well, look, I got this stupid idea. Let me do it in the Instapot. And then you can rank for it. And then I can rank for it because that's when the Instapot was getting popular. This was five years ago. Make a long story short, you don't want to make that recipe in the Instapot. It, it's, 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 it's silly. You're going to ruin it. You're going to get mushy pasta. You're, it's, yeah. it's, it's too hard to time. Just like you don't want to do a, a cake in an Instapot like I've seen recipes for. Mm-hmm. Or do a fruit salad in an Instapot. Like, well, I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, you've, saw, you've seen a fruit salad in an Instapot? There are so many people, websites, that have tried to capitalize on the success of the Instapot. Yeah. Now the Instapot, the term itself is declining. Yeah. So basically what happened was it, market saturation has happened for the Instapot. Pot. Everybody who was going to buy one has already bought not just one, but has bought three of them. Mm-hmm. And now a lot of people are returning back to regular cooking. Mm-hmm. For me, regular cooking in a Dutch oven gives me more satisfaction than putting it in an Instapot. Justin, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like talk, talk down at all though what you do for your family because I know how important time is. Mm-hmm. So that's my long answer with the Instapot. <laughs> I could go on. Yeah. But we, we won't. We know. <laughs> Next question. This is from Mark. What's up, Mark? Jim. Mark, my bro. <laughs> What's <laughs> idiot? What's your favorite way to use fusilli besides pasta salad? So I think Mark is specifically asking about a hot pasta dish with so, fusilli. Okay, so fusilli. I love the fusilli. I, I, I know you're. I know you're already laughing. She's <laughs> laughing about fusilli Jerry, the Seinfeld with George's dad. I know it's hysterical. Sorry, it's, it's impossible not to think about that when you mention the word <laughs> at all. But we're gonna wait for the immature child next to me to yes, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and uh, um, that's a great episode. If you, you know, even if you've seen it ten times, go make mm-hmm. number eleven. But fusilli, so. I'm thinking of the, you know what fusilli I love? I love the one that we use in the red pesto pasta. I knew you were going to say that. Now that is, that's completely different That's different, different, yeah. It's different. So the brand that makes that is Anna. Anna is owned by Cento. It's Cento's pasta pasta line brand. Mm -hmm. I think they bought the company. They never rebranded it, brought it in. Um, There's a couple other that do it too. And it's these long fusilli. So now I, I have a feeling... Mark is asking about like the corkscrew, the, the corkscrew facility. Yeah. So the corkscrew facility, Mark, I'm not too big of a fan of, and you are right. It really is just useful. Like you could do the tricolor one for pasta salad. Mm-hmm. That's where it excels. And and Decheco makes their tri tricolor facility. But if you get your hands on the Anna one, it's an amazing product, and it work that that pasta works well for like cream sauces. Yeah. But even like the first place I worked at, they did pesto, a cold pesto pasta, mm-hmm. like so in the salad case, and they would always do it with that long fusilli, and I loved it. I'm glad you said pesto because I was actually thinking that the regular corkscrew fusilli would be good with pesto. Yeah. 
That might be a good, like a warm pesto, not a cold one. You know what would be nice, Mark? I'm thinking Tara, Tara's got me on track now. So do a nice pesto with that. And then you could get a, how do you say oh, the word? Chili, chili AJ? Chili AJ? Yeah, yeah, it's the little pearls or yeah. chili agini. Yeah, mix yeah. those in there with that. And, and some cherry tomatoes. Mm-hmm. That sounds delicious yeah. and easy to make. That does sound good. I say make some pesto with it and do that. And Mark, I hope you're growing basil because- we have a ton of basil we're growing. We're going to show on the channel too. Yeah, we'll show our pesto oh. recipe. It looked, I went out today and looked at it. I show these pictures all the time on Instagram, on stories. On the stories, I always show the garden, always taking you around the house. Showed the taste tester yesterday. He just had graduation. He was eating cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. But it's always <laughs> stuff like that. And I'm showing the basil. It has grown so much in probably a week. Mm-hmm. So I keep trimming the top and I want it to go sideways and it's going to fill up my massive pots I have yeah. because you need so much basil to make just enough pesto for one pound of pasta. Mm-hmm. That's right. You do need a lot. In a pinch, you could also just get the pesto from Costco. That pesto from Costco, guys. It's so good. It's so good. It really is. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, were t- we had it the other day and I told Tara... I said, I don't know if I can, if my pesto is better than this. I bought it because we were going to, well, we are going to do a pesto taste test. So I bought it thinking we would shoot that video soon. And we just ran out of time and we also were out of food and we needed something to eat. So I said, why don't we just use the pesto from Costco and I'll make some pasta. Pesto from Costco is 20, is a 22 ounce jar, guys. It's in the cold section. So it's not one of those pestos that's sitting right. sitting on a shelf for three years. This one right. is has a short expiration. Yep. They say on the bottle, it's it's made with uh, basil. It's made with Genovese pe- basil. So that's right. it, it's, and I think, I believe the product is probably made in Italy, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure about that. Or they're shipping in this massive amount of Genovese basil and then making it. But it's made with all the right ingredients, pecorino. Uh, my, my biggest complaint about it what it was what tower it clumps salty Didn't you oh it was it was a little salty extremely salty yeah. yeah yeah but still delicious yeah really good the texture of it everything is spot on and you get 22 ounces of this so you get enough in this jar for two pounds of pasta mm-hmm. so you can make a pound of pasta use half of the jar put the jar in the in the fridge and then a week later have another meal mm-hmm. we're gonna do a whole episode on costco we'll also yeah. do one on trader joe's i've never seen a better pesto product than that one that's sold in Costco. Yeah. I mean, it's light years better than ever, oh, anything yeah. else I've ever had. Totally agree. Yeah. So that's a long answer for you, Mark. But yeah, use yeah. that. The last question, and it's not even a question, it's a comment that I see over and over and over again on YouTube. And somebody left a comment again. I think it was on one of the podcast episodes. Um, they, they wonder why you and I don't wear wedding rings. So I'll go ahead and I will answer my side of that question. And I, we both do have wedding rings. I do wear my wedding ring when I remember to put it on to go out, but we do so much cooking. Therefore we do so much dishwashing (laughs) that wearing rings of any sort is sometimes no, just yeah. annoying. A wedding ring would be appropriate now, guys. If I had my hand up on the table, which I do for the first time in this whole entire episode, 
So, Don't but it but on. it's always down here. But it wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't be appropriate for cooking. You you no. should you should never wear jewelry on your hands when you're cooking. Yeah, like it's dangerous. It's the same reason why you should never have a bracelet on, and you should never have your long hair down when you're cooking. Well, I do wear my hair down. I, I and you in do that. For, you do that for the videos, but for for real cooking, you would never want to do it. I mean, you could get your hair caught in the KitchenAid. I mean, yeah. these accidents, guys. These are common accidents, and they. You know, they'll rip rip somebody's scalpel off. You shouldn't have jewelry on when you're cooking. Yeah. That, that's basically what I'm trying to say. But yeah. I don't wear it even when I'm not cooking. Yeah. It's actually on my night table right now. Been sitting there. I, in fact, I found the ring a year ago, and prior to that, I didn't have I didn't see it for seven or eight years. I had it in my jewelry box. Some I found it there. So you must have given it to me and told me to. Put it somewhere. Told her to did. hold on to it. Uh, so just so I'm thinking of this, how Tara, Tara and I are working together and we do this together. That comment today that was rude that you told me about, I didn't think it was rude. I read that comment. That was one of the most rude comments I ever read in my life. So do you remember what it was about? The person said something like, how utterly alone do you feel prioritizing making money with your spouse rather than having an intimate relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It said that's exact is exactly spot on. Something like that. So whoever wrote it, if you're probably listening to this because I, I I actually find haters tend to watch more than, than supporters, Mm -hmm. which is a completely crazy dynamic. I'm happy about it. You know why I'm happy about it? Because prior to this tower was working in a job. She really didn't like what I didn't like about my job was the fact that I didn't have as much freedom as I wanted. And prior to the pandemic, I was spending, you know, two and a half hours on a train each way. So the five hours a day to get to the city, we have far more good moments now that I'm here and able to, to do this type of work. And I'm happy about it. I'm happy that I was able to have enough success for Tara to be able to join me. Yeah. To that comment, I would say what what you're seeing of Gemini on camera, first of all, is pretty much how we how we are towards each other. A little nicer. In private, She's a little nicer to me right now. Not really. You know, there's we have a whole life that's not in front of the camera yeah. or in front of the microphone. Yeah. We and, only show you what and, we want you to see. Yeah. We try to we try to let you in on what like certain things. Like I'd like to show you the basil I was just talking about. Yeah. And yeah, we do do this together. But I would say for that person's comment, like, what are you trying to tell me? You're telling me you have unlimited amount of money and you don't have to work? I, I don't really understand Well, I think it. they're operating under the assumption that you and I don't have any private moments because this is what we do for a living. We're only on camera for a very uh, short... So this yeah. is something that I think is worth repeating. And this is for every channel you guys watch it's not just our our own the camera time filming is such a small portion of the actual process that's a very a very tiny part mm-hmm. it's it's just not a big part yeah. the big part is when you have to actually turn the raw version yeah you have to turn it into something better right that's worth consuming right so anyway i know you watched it because uh you you wrote that comment if you wrote the comment you probably you probably yeah. are hanging on to every single thing that we're doing, which um, I guess is good or bad. Don't stalk me, though. You know, don't stalk me, bro. <laughs> Remember that guy? Don't tase me, bro. <laughs> I just saw that the other day. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even I don't even remember that. And then it mm-hmm. came up and I was like, that's saying like 
was occupied a whole year's worth of time. That mm-hmm. that guy went viral. They actually had he was the guy who would happen to. They had him on. Oh yeah. But like 15 years later. <laughs> well guys, we'll leave you with that. Send us your questions to podcast at sipandfeast.com. Yes. We very much appreciate you watching and we will see you next time. See you next time.